This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I'm Dale Luganbill. Thanks everybody for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, So I reached out the last uh, episode and uh, asked if you guys, you know, for some input, and you responded. So thank you very much for reaching out, those of you who did. And uh, I will do my best to uh, get back to doing the recap, the weekend recap and rants. So I uh, wasn't sure how those those were being uh, received, and I got pretty much nothing but positive uh, responses for it. So uh, I'm going to kick those off again, uh, starting you know, after this weekend, hopefully I have something to talk about this crazy ass weather we got going on here with the snow and and everything else. So I don't know. I'm going to try to do some goose and duck hunting. Uh, The pre-ruts kind of ramping up here. So trying to also spend as much time in the stand as I can. Uh, Yeah. So hopefully I have some stuff to recap. And then I'll have to dig for some stuff to rant about. That's not usually too hard to find. But uh, if you guys have anything on your mind that uh, a subject you'd like me to talk about, um, go ahead and let me know. You can just post it on Facebook. Send me a link to an article or something. Or if you're not a member of the um, Full Scale Outdoor group page on Facebook, go ahead and join that. Uh, That'd be a perfect place to kind of start a conversation going and – That'll give me some ammunition for that. So, all right. Well, let's get on with this episode. Uh, today, my guest is Ellen Candler. She is a PhD uh, student. I keep forgetting the term that she used. Not applicant. Uh, ah, crap. Anyways, she's at the U of M. <laughs> she's a researcher. And her current project right now is really interesting. And you guys can uh, all help her out. Uh, those of you that deer hunt, anyways, can help her out. She is studying um, gut piles. Like, so after you shoot a deer and you gut it out in the woods, and she's using, she's researching what 
kinds of wildlife are utilizing these gut piles and, and the potential impacts that those have. So pretty cool. I know I've always been curious and I've always thought of setting up a camera after just to see what happens, but I haven't. Uh, so now I think I'm going to have to do that because that's what she's asking for. That's the, what the study is, is. They're setting up trail cams uh, in front of these gut piles. You leave them up for a month and then you send her the, the pictures or the videos. Um, so that'd be pretty cool. Had a fun time talking to her. It's a really interesting subject. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And if you would, and you got a spare trail camera sitting around, think about packing one uh, with you. Put that, put an extra camera in your backpack uh, when you go deer hunting this year. And uh, we're getting dangerously close. We're a couple weeks out from the Minnesota firearm opener. So um, if everybody just has those uh, ready to rock and roll, you could uh, really be helping her out in a research project. That would be awesome. I'm sure it'd be greatly appreciated. And I can't wait to uh, see what those... Uh, results are when that study is finished so all right let's get on with it this is the full scale outdoors podcast with ellen candler oh here we go boys go oh i love that sound This is a good one. Well, thanks for doing this, Ellen. I appreciate it. I should, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I gotta thank David for making the connection. I um, yeah. really appreciate that. And I had a good time. I don't know if he's shared anything with you, but I got him out in the field um, hunting. Oh, gave, good. Gave I know goose. he was looking at trying to get into that. Yeah, we gave goose hunting a try. It was a slow morning, but he did uh, he did shoot his first goose. So that was awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah, I was pretty stoked good. about that. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. When I started diving into your research project, I was like, well, this is like I've, this is something that I have always wondered myself. I'm like, <laughs> I've always thought about like what you're doing, and we'll get to him kind of being vague now for people just listening. But um. I've always thought about that, like, I should do that. I should just set up, because for my own curiosity, I'm like, I should set up a trail camera over this gut pile to see, you know, what goes on. Of course, I never do because I'm too lazy. But with that <laughs> segue, I will uh, throw it over to you, let you officially introduce yourself to the uh, world, I guess, <laughs> or the 12 people listening <laughs> to my podcast, um, who you are and, and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so my name is Ellen Candler. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota uh, in the Department of Fisheries, Wildlife, and Conservation Biology. Um, and my research mainly focuses on hunter-derived food sources and kind of how different species interact with them. So I've done some research with hunter bait, uh, including bear bait and deer bait. Um, uh, but for my current research, I'm looking at hunter gut piles and how do scavengers use them across the state of Minnesota. Um, so we're asking a lot of hunters all over the state if they have a camera to, to put their cameras on gut piles and, and help us understand the differences in scavengers across the state, across different biomes, across different human use areas. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the broad broad brush of what we're doing. Minnesota is pretty unique geographically that we do have uh, different areas, you know, like the three main, I guess, 
I've always viewed it as three main different kind of habitats, you know, with the north woods and the conifer forest, and then you got like the more deciduous trees, and then you get into your ag lands, kind of prairie in the south. I guess you could throw in the southeast corner of the state as slightly different too, but um, I suppose all yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's uh, that's what we're interested in, and that's what's um, yeah so unique about Minnesota is the different the different habitats um, and the different scavengers that that occupy those different habitats. So yeah, in the North Woods, you're going to have wolves where in, you know, the Southwest, you're not likely to find them. So, um, what are the different scavengers that use the different, the gut piles? Sure. And how long has this study been going on? Uh, we started in 2018. So this is our third season. Um, we've been slow to get pictures analyzed. We've had a ton of support from hunters and volunteers, um, and a lot of pictures. Um, so going through those has taken a while, but (laughs) Or we're close to getting 2018 and 2019 wrapped up here and get at least preliminary data out for four hunters um, that have helped us so that they know what we're actually actually looking at. I can imagine. I, God, I can only. I mean, just with my own game <laughs> trail cameras here, like um, just on a trail, like not a, on any food source. You know, you get a random bird that decides to perch on the tree in front of your camera. You're gonna get a zillion pictures or. or <laughs> minutes of video of this stupid bird just chilling out you're like come on man <laughs> show me the deer let's yeah. go here and on a gut pile i can only imagine like get a flock of crows or a hawk or something that comes down and he's just chewing that thing for a while man that camera's gonna just go nuts yeah but i absolutely. suppose you don't really have to look at every, each and every picture i mean i would assume you kind of scan yeah through i mean if it's so yeah, so what, what we've done actually is we've used uh, Zooniverse, which is a platform um, for citizen science projects. Um, and a lot of them are camera trap projects. So there's other research projects here, even at the U- University of Minnesota that use it. So some uh, Snapshot Serengeti or um, Cedar Creek, um, Eyes on the Wild, I believe is what they're called. Um, and it, it's a platform that you upload all your images to, and then volunteers um, really from all over the world can help you identify the animals. And you give a lot of um, input and what scavengers you expect to see um, and give options. Um, So it's taken a while to go through them, but um, without the support of Zooniverse and all those volunteers, it it would be (laughs) a lot (laughs) to figure out what what we were seeing. um, (laughs) Where did you come up with the idea? to, to make this a focus of your Um, research? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up, um, I grew up in Idaho, uh, and my family is a hunting family, um, where my, my father was hunter. Uh, and so that's kind of where part of my interest for wildlife ecology kind of started. Um, that, and I grew up around the time that wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone. Um, so I kind of grew up with the conflict between wolves being reintroduced and, um, human, human impacts from that and arguments around that. So that kind of shaped my, well, I wonder how humans are, are interacting with, with wildlife. And since I was familiar with hunting, um, I was wondering how hunters impacted wildlife that they weren't targeting. Um, so that kind of brought up the, well, we know this is a pretty nutritious resource that's being left out. Uh, and every hunter would tell you they know things come and eat them. 
that's not a surprise to anybody. No. no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we we're just wondering, uh, yeah, I was just wondering really first what, what's coming in and then, well, how does that change where, wherever you are? Um, yeah. Going off of my, the gut pile I had last year and I didn't put a camera on it, but, um, it was a, it was a good shot. So the gut pile wasn't far from where, you know, I just pretty much got it where it laid and it wasn't far from where my stand was. Um, so when I continued to hunt, you know, I would kind of watch the process of it getting smaller and smaller as things consumed it. And it seemed like the only thing that didn't get eaten was the stomach itself and whatever contents are in there. Every, everything that was like at some point in time, there was nothing left other than just the stomach. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I've done some other work, uh, in Yellowstone too, as a, as a volunteer, um, field technician. Um, and when we would visit, visit elk carcasses or things that had been, you know, killed by wolves or scavenged by wolves and scavenged by all sorts of other things. That's what you would find too, is just the, the stomach contents or the rumen just frozen in a big block of, yeah. looks like a block of hay. <laughs> Pretty much does. Um, yeah. It's just a bunch yeah. of fiber in there. <laughs> A bunch of fermented yeah. fiber. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that's pretty much what I saw. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> exactly <laughs> right. So what are what are you um, finding? Like, um, when you set this up, I mean, when you you have, do you lay out some things that you think you're gonna see, or things you hope you're gonna see, and then you know how with what you did actually see with the information that you are getting in, is there much difference? Are you kind of seeing what you thought? Are there some surprises thrown in there? Yeah. Um, so what we would expect to see in the different biomes, um, I think in, in kind of the open areas and the, in the farmland areas, the prairie regions, we'd expect to see um, more birds coming in first and quicker because it's easy to spot um, a lot of birds react to, to gunshots. Um, so they know what that means, especially that time of year. Um, so we'd expect that. And then we'd expect maybe in the forested regions, maybe it'd be a little harder to find. Um, and maybe mammals find it first. Um, and I think, I think we're seeing that mostly, mostly birds coming in, um, which I don't think probably surprises many people. Um, I, as far as what I would hope to see, I've, I've gone through every picture and I'm, I think most hunters that send me their, their camera pictures do as well, just to, out of curiosity, what's in it. Um, I always go through quick to see if there's any, uh, lynx or, or cougar or anything <laughs> yeah. that is to just in case. And I've yet to see, yet to see either, um, but, but that would be, that would be pretty cool. Are the people sending you um, pictures? Are they just sending you cards or are they, are they previewing them first? I mean, I would, I would assume like, I'm going to want to know what's on there. So I'm probably going to look at it first. If I had a mountain lion on there, yeah. I'd be like, and check out picture 1035. You're yeah. Gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think every hunter looks through, um, through the pictures. Um, we're asking hunters to, to use their own cameras if they have them. Um, since we don't have a lot available. So what we do is actually send them a Google document or a Google folder that they can upload the pictures to. Oh, okay. So they don't have to send us anything. We do have a few people that send us cards, which is fine. Um, and then we've lent out a few cameras so we get cards back. But 
otherwise, yeah, we encourage, and I've had hunters ask, is it okay if I look at the pictures? And yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is it okay? <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to change the data if you look at it or not. Yeah, yeah. no, have fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so what are you finding? What, what, so far, where are we at? Like what's. Yeah. So I have, um, just gotten the 2018 data from Zooniverse downloaded and I'm getting ready to go through, uh, and kind of do a preliminary, um, look at which species we saw, how many we saw of each species, and then maybe try to try to map that, match that up to where, where they were in the state. Um, a lot of coyotes, as you would expect, a lot of crows uh, and ravens. Um, yeah, there's a few pictures that are um, really interesting and hunters have pointed out uh, that there's some owls coming in to the, mm. to the gut pile. And they've shown that they've said, well, maybe, maybe they're not eating the gut pile. Maybe they're hunting the mice that are coming at night and eating the gut pile. And some of them you can see um, have a mouse when they leave, oh, which okay. is cool. Um, so that's kind of another, we call that a, uh, an ecological trap. So a place where it, it seems like it's a really good resource for an animal, like a mouse, a really rich source of food, but it's actually a, a trap for, from other predators. Well, so. you could see other predators using that. Maybe they're not this smart. I don't know, but you think like a coyote. It's like, well, I could just eat that gut pile or I could wait for something else to come along and then I could snag <laughs> that other thing. Um, is there much for like, uh, I mean, is there much activity with raccoons or skunks or A few. Possums? Uh, not as many as I would, I guess I, I would have expected. But when you think about it, I guess um, where we're seeing those, I think a lot of that's kind of in the metro area and around maybe more. Um like houses and things where you would expect those okay. kind, of, kind of animals to be. Same with the opossums and yeah. Well, yeah, and possums just kind of seem to stumble their way through life. Honestly, don't know how they <laughs> survive. Like they literally just the ones that I've seen, like I've seen them in the tree stand, like, you know, walking through and they aimlessly, it seems seemingly aimlessly just walk and they're like stumble <laughs> upon some, food once in a while like okay yeah, yeah. interesting that works for interesting survival <laughs> technique um what's some of the coolest things you've seen yeah i think uh there's there's one camera that it must have been set up wasn't pointed towards water but it must have been set up right towards right by water because there was an otter that kept coming back to the gut pile and oh, there's a picture interesting way which was pretty cool um I don't think those typically frequent gut piles, I would, wouldn't say, but it's not unheard of. Um, they, they would take advantage of that if, if it's in a place where they could get to easily. So, In the northern part of the state, in like fisher country, are you getting any fishers or pine martin? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of fishers. Um, I, I don't know if we've had many martin, um, but definitely a lot of fisher. Uh, there's been some... Uh, flying squirrel, which is pretty cool. Um, hmm. Yeah, and they 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 love that. A lot of woodpecker, which I thought was unusual, but if you think about it, you know a little more when you yeah. have a, a bird feeder out and you have your suet block out, and they come to that. Why wouldn't I mean that's that's what they're interested in. I've hung like uh, after cleaning out my deer, you know, just kind of have the skeletal remains. Basically, I've hung those up in a tree in my backyard a couple of times and the chickadees and the woodpeckers love it. I mean, they go to, they 
they use that all winter long. I mean, they get, <laughs> man, they get that everything. They get that so clean by spraying, it's unbelievable. Like almost all <laughs> of the silver skin connective tissue, like it's just bones by, by winter. It's pretty, or by uh, spring. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, so I would assume some chickadees, blue jays. Yep. 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 Yeah. There's not, there's, there's not a lot that I can think that hasn't really been scavenging a lot. I mean, deer visit, um, we haven't captured them. We can't really tell if they're eating at all. Um, ungulates have been known to eat bones, um, or chew on them maybe for, for calcium, calcium, calcium deficiency. But I don't know if we've ever seen them eat the gut pile itself. Um, seems a little morbid, but <laughs> well, the whole thing's kind of morbid, right? They have then, um, yeah. There but has been don't... stories of deer in certain parts where they they'll eat birds out of nests. I've seen that. There was yeah. red deer in was it England somewhere in Europe? Remember Ireland? There was some island that uh, there was no predators on it. And something was killing these rabbits. And, of course, there's, like, the folklore of, you know, like a black panther or some kind of, you know, escaped creature over there or or legendary creature was starting to spread. And so they set up camera traps. And what they found were these deer were jacking the the rabbits. I think it was just because it was so low of resources, so few of resources on the island between the deer and the rabbits are – literally kind of eating themselves out of house and home. But it was, it was quite astonishing to watch because these traps are out there taking nighttime video and the deer out there grazing, the rabbits come along, everything looks nice and peaceful and very Disney-esque. And all of a sudden this deer just rears up and pounds this rabbit rabbit to death with its <laughs> front feet. And you're like, holy smokes, what in the hell? And then it's eating a rabbit. You're like, my brain is not prepared to process this image right now. <laughs> So yeah, You're they no can Bambi. they can do some crazy <laughs> crazy stuff. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've I've watched a video of them eating a goose, a little gosling, oh, just like crazy. Chasing, grab it and just kind of twist it, you know. And it's like, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened. <laughs> that's alarming. Okay. <laughs> Interesting how that's alarming. But if we if yeah. we watched a, a fox do that, we're like, yeah, it's normal. Yeah, that's just yeah what, they do that. Yeah, that's what they do. No big deal. <laughs> But a deer does it. We're like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> not good, not good. And what's the ultimate goal here? I mean, what are we working towards? Is this uh, information going to be uh, used uh, to set some sort of uh, uh, regulation is the right term, but um, management? Yeah, so, so this project kind of was um... – developed uh, with a lot of collaboration with Minnesota Master Naturalist and just kind of out of curiosity um, of what species are coming in. So we're not funded actually. um, So we're not working directly with the DNR for funding or for for management implications, but there's certainly management implications that could come out of this this data depending on what we find. our ultimate goal is really just to, to get a baseline understanding of what scavengers are coming in to hunter gut piles across Minnesota. Um, and I think from there, we can start to answer a lot more questions. Um, so right now we don't really have a lot of video out, but hopefully with this, we can build on this and maybe get some video out too and ask other questions about species interaction, um, 
we can ask questions about um, what it means for different species to get this resource. Um, so this is a resource, if you think about when animals naturally die, it's not in the fall or when deer, I guess, naturally die, it's not in the fall. Um, it would probably be maybe males, maybe like, you know, after the rut um, are kind of hurting, but typically deer tend to die naturally in the spring after a harsh winter or something. Um, but in the fall, this kind of resource for scavengers isn't, isn't really common. So there are other species um, of scavengers, things like coyotes or, you know, other, other species you can think of that use this resource that if in the absence of humans wouldn't have this resource available. So maybe start to get at what does that mean for those individuals and those species. Um, and so getting a baseline understanding of first what's coming in and maybe how often can help us maybe start to ask and answer some of those questions. Well, then in the absence of humans is an interesting um, point because it's, I mean, you wouldn't have roadkill in the absence of humans either, which obviously that's yeah. something that happens <laughs> year round and certainly uh, scavengers use utilize that. I mean, everybody has seen a bald eagle in the ditch chewing on a dead deer. Um, and I would assume they would probably visit a gut pile from time to time. Oh yeah. We get, we get a lot of, a lot of eagles. Yep. And they're kind of fun to watch because when you look at the, cause they're, they're, they seem to pattern well. And I'm not a very, I'm not a bird expert. Um, but you can tell a lot with eagles because they're, they don't mature, um, to the, you know, full white head and full white tail till they're about five years old. So you can see when you're watching them on the gut pile, the different ages. So oh, really yeah, sure. Ones, and then some that are a little mottled. Uh, and you, you can kind of, a lot of other species do that too. We'll just keep returning to that resource, but it's easier to see with the eagles that you can, you know, see the individuals and identify them. So it's kind of fun to watch and see their behavior between the adults and the sub-adults. You get to see any altercations, like uh, there's an eagle on it and a hawk comes along or a fox or something else and something chases <laughs> something else off. Has you gotten to see any video like that or any of those pictures? There's a few cool ones, mostly birds um, that you can see. There's a cool, um, I have to find it again, the cool, like eagles, mostly like a sub-adult and an adult um, kind of talons up together. Oh, wow. And it's still, still image and um, you know, there's a variety of different qualities of cameras. So some capture just a blur and sure. some capture really nice, really nice images, but yeah, you can see them a little, that's where video would be really cool to see, and be able to better understand those interactions between species among species. Getting a little slow connection here. Hopefully I didn't lose you. It's probably my internet. There you are. Now you're back. Gotcha. Got a little, <laughs> got a little digital there. Um, <clears throat> I guess, yeah, there's a lot of information you could gather from video over picture, I would think, as far as, like, the different scavengers and, like, how they approach the bait pile. Like, are they just running mm -hmm. in or are they coming in really hesitant? Are they, you know, real cautious? Um, that would be interesting i'm not sure what you would do with that information other than going yeah. well that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's there's some things we can get at with stills with that kind of there's um uh we can use a 
different survival analysis statistical tools to look at um, when something comes in after another species comes in. You know, maybe, you know, if we, if we see a wolf at the gut pile, does the coyote even come in anymore or does it come in and not stay or does it, yeah, like a video would be really nice. Does it come and grab and leave really quick versus a place where a wolf maybe never visited? Does the coyote stay longer? And are you getting some uh, wolf? I assume you're getting some wolf pictures in Northern Minnesota. I would. Yeah. Yep. To. There's, there's wolves visiting. Yeah. Yep. Is this also giving us a snapshot of, of um, populations in certain spots? Um, it, this project wouldn't do as well um, with that partly because it's baited and it's not systematically randomized. Um, so since we're asking hunter, this is good to answer these questions about gut piles because it's occurring at gut piles and gut piles aren't even necessarily, you know, randomly distributed. They're distributed where hunters hunt. And sure. Um, so putting cameras out where hunters wouldn't hunt doesn't, doesn't make sense for our questions, but um, understanding populations, there are, there are camera studies that are really suited, well suited to do that. Um, there's a, another project actually that's on Zooniverse um, that's run in Wisconsin called Snapshot Wisconsin. And they have a systematic way that they've distributed their cameras. Um, and they can do, I believe they're doing some population analysis with that. Um, so they have, you know, grids set up and you put cameras in certain places and can understand population differences that way. That'd be cool. Um, and what are your, what are your plans? Not so much with this, like, uh, in your career, what's this, what's your ultimate goal? Where do you, where are you working <laughs> towards? Yeah, that's the. I see your PhD the... applicant. I don't know exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a candidate. So. Oh, candidate. Uh, sorry. Yeah. So I learned this like after becoming a student <laughs> versus a student. Um, a PhD student is somebody that's starting their PhD kind of, and a candidate, somebody that's passed your, your written and oral exams. So pretty much you've passed an exam that your committee says, yeah, yeah, you, you get it, you get it. So you can go on and keep studying to actually get your degree. Um, so I am hopefully going to be done in the spring, defend in the spring. Uh, and this data won't obviously all be finished by then. And we're hoping it'd be awesome to continue and get more information and to be able to answer more questions. But uh, yeah, my hope is to continue this research uh, in some capacity, excuse me, and maybe expand it to, to different areas. But um, I'd love to stay in, in the field of research, especially in human dominated landscapes or uh, questions about humans in even remote landscapes, right? I mean, I wouldn't say Northern Minnesota is a human dominated landscape in the sense that the metro area is, but we're asking very similar questions and being able to compare differences between those and looking at human impacts across, across these landscapes, humans impact all of these landscapes. So yeah, that'd be my, my interest in the future. And as far as like um, working for the DNR, like would you be using, um, that kind of information to, uh, you know, set regulations or uh, season structures, stuff like that, to look at, you know, that human impact or human wildlife interaction. Is that kind of where, it, what you're thinking? 
Yeah, I think I think what I'm thinking is um, the DNR might be interesting, but it's, but I, I think my ultimate goal is to continue um, with the university in some capacity, whether it be like an extension um, type position or okay. um, USGS co-op type position that's related to the university. So I can continue um, with research that I'm interested in with some management implications. So um, not what we'd say is basic research. I don't love that word because it makes it sound like it's like easy research. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, basic. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, research that, uh, yeah, can be can be used and for management purposes. Um, I think, I think this research as it stands right now isn't going to be able to say much about management. But I think this um, questions that can come out of this and what we might be able to ask in the future and how we might be able to ask um, hunters to participate in the project in the future might help us answer questions about, about management. Um, Is, something like, like CWD. I was just going to ask that. You beat me to it. <laughs> we don't have, you know, we're not asking questions about that um, directly. Um, like I said, we're just asking, you know, basically what's there. Um, but there's been other research that's been done in Wisconsin that's asked similar questions about, well, what, what scavengers are coming into a full carcass and a gut pile and what might that mean for CWD? So if, if deer are visiting, like what do they have to do to spread that? Um, and disease ecology is not my forte, but, um, but other species pass it on. Um, and that's something that I, I don't think is known really well, but with this kind of data, we can, um, kind of match that up when that kind of stuff is known because people are asking those questions too and working on that we can say all right if if we know that these species spread it then we'll match it with this other this other field of data and see what's coming in and um understand where they might be spreading it yeah because i know there's been talk about um and i mean you said you're not you know cwd expert but there's been talk about um, just disposing of deer carcasses and a risk that that might spread CWD and, you know, maybe bring these, everything to a landfill. I wonder if at some point in time they'd be like, you can't field dress your deer anymore. Like we, we don't want to leave any trace of any contaminated, uh, animal in the woods at all. And every, every part of that thing needs to be brought in and disposed of properly. Um, and then if that was the case, you would definitely see an impact in what you're studying. Then these predators, these scavengers would no longer have that resource, um, seasonally. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that, that's kind of, you know, going back to the, um, I'd say naturally, not that humans aren't, aren't, uh, you know, part of nature, but, um, the season is set that we, you know, set it in November, I'll just, you know, just for our arm season. So for two weeks in November, when most of the deer are shot, um, yeah, if we decide we can't leave anything in the field in all of Minnesota, if you can, you know, we go that extreme, then yeah, what species are, are missing out? Um, so yeah, expanding this research to understand, first we have to understand, are they missing out? Or is this just like 
a candy shop that they're yeah they're like oh look brownies a little bit on. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know or is this really really keeping them alive um or expanding you know keeping young alive that would otherwise maybe die yeah and um, it, that's got to be a really hard thing to quantify because you know it's scavengers is, is roaming around looking for an easy meal and if that easy meal isn't there you know how, how do you like i said how do you quantify that animal that may not have made it through the winter without that gut pile to maybe build up some reserves going into a hard winter and which ones are just taking advantage of an extra resource you know being yeah, having yeah, having yeah. that resource being healthier through the winter um maybe even you know as certain animals are pregnant you know get like they healthier they're getting more it's are they having bigger litters because of it you know this extra food resource like there's a i think there's a lot of x factors there i think i don't even know how you would begin to put all that together yeah yeah and and just the data we have with our cameras it's going to be hard to hard to say much about that but understanding at the very least what's coming in and how often and when um, can help us start to understand and unravel those questions. And then we can maybe target those questions to different species that we might be interested in. Yeah, you would think there'd have to be some sort of butterfly effect, you know, yeah. that uh, it has, there has to be some cause and effect going on there. It's um, a lot. I mean, there's <clears throat> about 200,000 deer harvested in, Minnesota every year. So that's, I mean, that's thousands of pounds of, of gut pile that's on the landscape and that's a super nutritious meal for, for animals. So there's, there's not zero impact. Um, but understanding what that is, is, is harder to get at. Sure. What are some of the things like this isn't, um, this is off subject or off, off, uh, the study for sure. But you said you're from Idaho and you, did some work out there with when they were doing the introduction reintroduction of wolves. Um, I find it, I find it interesting. And I've talked about on this podcast before um, the resistance that, well, two things, once the resistance that is met anytime reintroduction is, is talked about. um, And for all the, you know, obvious reasons. And then two, the fact that Minnesota, you know, only had a wolf season for, like a year or two at most before it got um, shut down again. When Minnesota has more wolves in this state than all of the Western states combined. Like it's, I find it's like, uh, what, (laughs) you know, when you're looking at Idaho, (laughs) I mean, when you were, when you were studying, what was the wolf population in Idaho? 200? Uh, so, so I was really young when wolves were introduced. So I didn't work, on the reintroduction, but I worked in Yellowstone kind of on the wolf project. Oh, okay. And say at least in Yellowstone there, they estimate like a hundred wolves. Yeah. Like that's um, nothing. Versus Voyagers where there's, uh, I can't remember how many wolves, but in a much, much smaller area. Yeah. The wolf density in, in Northern Minnesota is much higher. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, with habitat and prey availability and things like that. Um, but, yeah, for sure. We have yeah. tons of deer and you know, <laughs> You would think you think mountains, and you would think you know tons of game animals and tons of wolves, but um, like animals per square mile, like that density is way less in the mountains than it is you know here here in Minnesota. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
which is probably what I think also proximity to Canada, you know, it's a short jump across the rainy river for some of these packs to trade back and forth. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely no shortage of wolves in the entirety of Canada. So it's like a constant (laughs) inflow of that. And again, it's easy. It's just woods to woods. Like it's not a mountain range that they have to cross. Yeah. 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 If you're not going over Alpine or anything, you might have to walk around a lake but in the winter time you get to walk right across the lake so it's you know pretty easy for those populations to trade back and forth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because colorado was thinking they're trying to get wolves and they are being met with a lot of resistance yeah yeah and they're they're doing it a little differently than they did in montana and idaho and wyoming um in that they're they're doing it as a ballot initiative i believe this this couple weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're met with a lot of the same resistance that's met with here and out West with, with ranchers and some hunters, um, not liking, liking that risk. Um, and it, it is a risk to be said to, to individual, um, of ranchers, particularly, um, on the whole, it's not, if you look at, at the, you know, ranching business as a whole, it's not, not a monetary risk, but, um, that, that doesn't, you don't want to discredit the, the impact on an individual rancher too. So, um, it's a controversial animal. Sure. And I mean, they usually have, um, well, there's usually some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, reimbursement costs when there's, you mm-hmm. know, anytime they do that, the a state will put that in. That's usually part of the deal. It's like, okay. And well, then if livestock gets killed, we'll, you know, we'll reimburse you for your, any lost wages there and it is a controversial animal it's a charismatic animal um i'm my personal opinion is i like the idea i i I really like that we have wolves i'm i'm definitely not an anti-wolf person i'm not i would not put myself in the like the wolf lover in air quotes like (laughs) they're off limits by no means do I think they're off limits, especially here in Minnesota. We have plenty. They're like, they're not going anywhere. Even when they were mostly extirpated from the lower 48, everywhere else, Minnesota always had uh, packs of wolves. Uh, I think it is that proximity to Canada, just, you know, like easy come easy go kind of a thing. But uh, I like them on the landscape and my opinion, and this is an outsider looking in because I don't live in Colorado. I don't live in any of these mountain states, and I'm not a rancher. So I, I, with with all that said, <laughs> I, I get, like, their concern. I understand that. Um, I just don't see wolves crashing any population. Like, um, they're only ever going to get so populated. And from the best I can tell, a lot of sportsmen, and so, uh, I'm going to probably piss off a lot of people by saying this, but a lot <laughs> of sportsmen want it really easy. You know, like if they don't just go out and sit in their stand or go on a hunt and they don't, and they don't punch the tag, something else is wrong. Like something should be done. The DNR needs to do something. So they definitely don't want wolves out there because it's going to make it harder. There's going to be, there will be less elk. There will be less mule deer, but how much less? Will it yeah, push? Will yeah. it push some populations around? Yeah, probably. That means you're going to have to change your hunting tactics and your hunting strategies, and you're going to have to work a little bit harder. 
so what? I mean, that's kind of, it's, you know, it's <laughs> like, I, I see whitetail fishermen and again, I'm going to, I'm going to stir the pot even more, but anybody that listens to this podcast is not, is going to be familiar with this. I pick on walleye anglers all the time, but they're a lot like walleye anglers where we just dump millions and millions and millions and millions of walleye fry into all, pretty much all of our lakes in this state as for the most part a put and take fishery and any threat that comes along with its cormorants or whatever else that might start tapping into that walleye resource the walleye anglers just lose their mind like they just they, it, <laughs> apparently they want it just like shopping they want to just go to walk into the grocery store i.e. their boat get their limit and leave without really having to work on it and if they don't get a limit there's something wrong and deer hunters are somewhat similar they're like and I've heard it time and time again from a lot of people like, oh, these wolves appear. We used to shoot deer every year, but now the wolves, the wolves have been in Minnesota for forever. <laughs> so like that yeah, excuse just, the, the excuse just doesn't hold any water with me. It's like, well, and I've seen going back to, going back to point, I've seen some trail cam videos. Like they would still set them up on like beaver dams. And it was a study just to see like what uses those as, you know, as a, as a trail crossing and it pretty much everything does. And you'll look at these timestamps and they'll go pack of wolves, three, four, five, six of them or whatever. And like 20 minutes later, a deer crosses that same, that same beaver dam. So it's like, well, your theory of the wolves chasing all the whitetails out doesn't really hold up when you look at the hard data, they share the same space. It's not like mm-hmm. they just constantly move these herds of deer and there's pockets left and behind them, you know, in their wake. <laughs> like, I just don't, that just doesn't happen. And, and that kind of um, only good wolf is a dead wolf kind of thing. I just don't, I just don't like that. Yeah. And, I, and I don't agree with it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, 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 nobody's going to tell you that wolves aren't going to kill elk or deer or whatever. I mean, that's what they eat. That's so what they do. <laughs> it's like but, literally what they do. Yeah. Um, but when you actually look at some of the data of what elk or what, what wolves are killing, um, some of this data, like out, out of Yellowstone area, particularly, um, what, what wolves are killing versus what hunters kill. I mean, we want typically want, you know, the, the, the elk or the, or the deer with the biggest rack, you know, this big, healthy, uh, bull or, or buck, um, and wolves are not killing those. Not, not often. I mean, there's. Yeah, they, they will from time to time. They do. But but typically, no. It is so dangerous for wolves to hunt. I mean, you the, the hooves of a deer or an elk are, are sharp, and they are it's a dangerous thing to kill kill one of those. So they're, they're not going to kill often these big animals that hunters are targeting. Um, and they're going to move move animals around a bit. Um, but, but when I hunt, I was just out west uh, in early September for an early rifle hunt. I wasn't successful, but, um, we followed a wolf in and so we saw elk, um, and we didn't see a ton of elk, but I think that had more to do with the number of hunters that we saw. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but it was so cool to, to know they were in there and, you know, we saw bear scat everywhere and it, it, it's, I enjoy it. I enjoy, I enjoy the hunt more. So, that kind of adds another another level of challenge. Yeah, I like personally. like I said, I like knowing they're on the landscape. But did you happen to see that video of the? I might have been in Yellowstone. I don't know. It was um, 
of a grizzly bear killing a very large bull elk in the water. <laughs> Did you see that one? It's just it's been floating on the internet just Maybe. recently. Maybe, yeah. I think it, it must have been Yellowstone. Or the one I'm thinking of was like on a Yellowstone. Yeah, this thing like swims out and it it's attacking it in the water. I mean, I don't th- <laughs> it's crazy, and it's just like biting it, you know, on the back. It looks like it's purposely trying to drown it, which ultimately is what it did. And the other thing I saw that I thought was really interesting, I guess I didn't see if the video was edited or all. It didn't look like it was, but um, how quickly, like, the elk just, at one point in time, he's fighting, he's fighting, and he wasn't underwater. Like, his head went underwater a couple times, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, I guess I'm done. And he just gives up. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, you can't yeah. hold your breath for 15 seconds? That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and bull elk this time of year are... I don't know when the video was taken, but you know they're they're pretty beat, <laughs> pretty tapped out. Yeah, the rut. Yeah, the rut is over. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. rutting in September, so yeah, they yeah, and that that could very well be why the grizzly bear targeted them, knowing that it was yeah probably yeah. already pretty Same weak. Yeah, but this was a nice bull. I mean, it was <laughs> it was at least a six by six, if not seven. I didn't. It's hard to count the tines, but it was a big, big, big bull. And, uh, yeah, and I have seen, and I've seen video of, of wolves taking down uh, bull elk too. Probably the same thing, you know. It's probably shortly after the rut when they're a little weaker, deplenished. Yeah, and um, and they make better videos that way too. I mean, that's when true. You, it's a really interesting video to watch. Versus, not that it's not interesting to watch them hunt a cow, but um, to watch them hunt a big bull is super cool. So that video and that those pictures are probably shared a lot more. So it might well, be. And to say, you know, there is a risk for the wolves with a, a bull is legit. Cause if you watch this video with this bear, like there's one point where he literally, the bull puts his head down and like tries to, you know, gore the bear, um, unsuccessfully. But even when he's just thrashing, thrashing around, I mean, his head's whipping around. Those antlers are just going everywhere. I mean, that bear takes, a big risk of getting one of those in the eye or, you know, anywhere just poking through the skin and it's, yeah. It yeah. Was and they're sharp. Pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, and they're Heavy. strong. <laughs> yeah. Well, they gotta be strong to carry all that weight, all that headgear yeah. around. It is quite amazing, uh, that they carry that around <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. through the thick trees, you know, watch like videos of, of bucks going through, like they just kind of swing their head side to sides. Like they know where all the branches are. It's it's pretty amazing, actually. Um, yeah. and then you think of they're going to drop those antlers off in a couple months and start all over again. You're like, what in the <laughs> That's just, that seems like a crazy evolutionary tactic. You know, it seems yeah. like a lot of yeah. resources going into growing those antlers. For what? Yeah, <laughs> just for one, for one reason only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, for breeding. I mean, that's pretty yep, much yep. it because they. That's what. That's I mean, what life's about. Some will use them for protection, and you know, like this elk did. But ultimately, they drop off, so that can't be. It's like a cat doesn't lose its claws for a short period of time. You know, it's like it needs them the whole time. Yeah. So if yep. they were if they revolved around defense, they wouldn't lose them. Like <laughs> they would always have them. So it's obviously not. That was not the evolutionary purpose, if such a thing can, if such a term even exists. Because um, everything seems like, I uh, can't say by accident, but like by default, like kind of how evolution works. Like 
things become this way because it was advantageous and for them and you know it's not not like it was intelligent design where they're where an animal's like you know what would really work good <laughs> if I was white then they couldn't see me in the snow it's like nah, it's think not that a, lady deer would like yeah good. yeah it's not a conscious decision yeah but it, you know it does yeah Darwinism yeah. in a nutshell he's <laughs> I'm really good at this bro science stuff. <laughs> uh, you went uh, hunting this year. Were were you in back in Idaho? I did. Yep. Um, my first first elk hunt. Um, yep. My dad and I went out. We went into the Middle Fork Middle Fork area of Idaho, so kind of central central Idaho. It was wilderness hunt. So hiked in about five miles and camped and then hunted from there. I want to do that. That's, that's no, no, no elk down, I guess. It was a successful hunt, I yeah. would say. Cause, but. Successful outing for sure. I, I, that's on my bucket list to do for sure. Is to, And I want to do a backcountry. I want to camp. I want to be out under the stars and and mm-hmm. do that whole the whole experience for sure. Uh, I have too many irons in the fire. That's the problem because it's like <laughs> September is when I'd love to go. I'd love to archery uh, hunt for them you know, experience that rut and those bugling elk and everything else. And then, I mean, goose hunting is going on. The early goose is kicking off here (laughs) in Minnesota. It's like, oh, what do I do? Uh, But I'm just going to have to, some year I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and put it on the calendar and be like, this year I'm going. You know, it's not like I'm going to miss the entire waterfall season. I'm just going to miss, you know, a week or two or however long it takes me to fill and and or fail. We meant to get horses. It would have been easier um, to get back further there's a few spots we could see on the map where we're like that's where they are we're not seeing a ton and we know we can see that that must be where they are but it would have been a horrible slog to get something out of there if we <laughs> yeah horses would be really cool or uh alpacas i know a lot of people yeah. are using those too yeah they, they seem to do a little better on some of that steeper terrain mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah just <sighs> just getting the game out. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like getting in to hunt this animal is one thing. What do you do when you're successful? You have a 900 yeah. pound animal that you have now have to pack out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh As we were God. going, my dad, we were kept hiking in and my dad would look back at me. He's like, it's okay. The first thing is you got to get it down and then you worry about how to get it out. Oh my God. I mean, as long as it's uh, not, you know, a hundred degrees out, then you have time. I mean, just take a few right, days. Sure. It's going to be a slog and it's going to be tough, but as long as you're responsibly hanging and taking care of the meat, then you got, you got time. Yeah. <laughs> just get it before the bears do. Yeah. Before yeah. Before those scavengers yeah. get we to it. we were hunting, there wasn't a ton of, I mean, there were a lot of black bears, but there were no grizzlies. Not to say that black bears wouldn't eat that, but. Right. Yeah. But they're not going to claim oh. a kill like, like grizzlies yeah. have been known to do. Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. And, you know, going back to the point of um, liking that there's wolves on the landscape, like as dangerous as grizzlies can be, like I like that knowledge too, or mountain lions or anything. There brings a different element to it, and I only have a small little sliver of experience with that, and I was just hiking. I was in the Bighorn Mountains. I think that's Montana or Wyoming. It's right on the border. Anyways. Mm-hmm. And uh, we saw this waterfall off in the distance. Like, let's go hike up to that waterfall. Like, halfway there, I see this big lion print in, like, the sand. And immediately realized that 
I was no longer the top predator. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even have a pocket knife on me at the, like had. <laughs> I had nothing. Uh, probably not smart to be hiking in you know, just grizzly territory without bear yeah. spray or something. Like I had. <laughs> I had nothing. Like, <laughs> and it that understanding quickly set in like i was like i felt so small suddenly like um this thing could be watching me right now knowing that usually cats don't like hang out like they have a giant range and just because i saw a yeah. track he's probably literally 25 miles from here right now uh, but maybe not i mean he could be yeah he could yeah. be sitting so anywhere too, yeah right he could now. be sitting anywhere watching <laughs> watching me right now well that's the other video that surfaced recently is that guy that uh had the back pedal <laughs> quite a ways yeah. with mama lion yeah. there yeah yeah she was protecting oh yeah for sure if she wanted it but he did everything right yes i mean yep. he didn't turn his back and he yelled and he yeah no i was a little surprised he didn't try to the rock thing sooner um, but I also yeah. can understand, do you want to pause and bend down? Like, when's a good time for you to bend down and make yourself look smaller to grab a rock? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. there was a couple times when the distance was decent. I'm like, okay, grab a rock now, grab a rock now. I mean, it was definitely <laughs> Monday morning quarterback in this guy. Like, okay, yeah. you should be grabbing a rock right now. <laughs> like, grab a rock, grab a rock, grab a rock. There's tons of rocks on that trail. Grab a rock. Uh, but at, towards the end of the video, I think that's what he ultimately did do. So was it the rock? I don't know. Was he finally far enough away that the cat was like, okay, I got you out of my zone. I'm going to boogie back to my kits now because, I mean, I think I would have started backing up sooner. (laughs) I'm pretty sure because the moment I saw a cub, I've been like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, of just about any animal. Not good. Not good. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, because he like he saw the way. to come across a cougar cub yeah that's odd to me that i don't know well i would i would have a moment of oh cool very chance quickly followed by oh shit (laughs) yeah like they're never left alone (laughs) like yeah yeah. and he kind of walked a little bit further and then saw that other one i was like no the first one would have been enough for me i would have been already back (laughs) then i'd be like nope i don't nope i'm out (laughs) yeah i don't i worked uh when i was in yellowstone i worked on the cougar project too there and that was it was, I mean, we're in cougar country and we're following them and, and following their tracks. And that was always kind of a, we're backtracking. Um, and that was always kind of a, you know, you, you felt safe. You're always with someone. We had bear spray and um, it wasn't, it was winter. So the grizzlies weren't out. Um, but it was always kind of like, yeah, I mean, these cougars, they're, they're around. I mean, they very easily could be just sitting up in that oh, tree watching yeah. us. And, and and we never once had a problem, but um, well, thanks. Just, yeah, thankfully, yeah, in the back of your mind, you're listening, you're watching for bison, <laughs> you're for everything. It's like oh. bison were scarier, frankly, in my opinion, than anything else. That was yeah, well, out there. and thankfully, we're not on the menu, right? It's not yeah, not right, that people right. haven't been attacked and haven't been eaten in in the history, but yeah. it's a pretty small number. Uh, that's you know, in most like tax fishing, like in California, it's usually like mountain bikers that you know give the they have the same kind of movement and height and profile of their prey like a deer you know mm-hmm. so they when you're on a bike you look quadrupedal a little a little more so um yeah so it's usually a case of mistaken identity but still 
doesn't change the fact that that's a lion. <laughs> <laughs> it's still good either. <laughs> that is a lion. <laughs> it's okay to have that that fear. That's it's that's a, yeah. That's good evolution. <laughs> that's, a, that's a healthy fear to have, just yeah, like yeah, with bears. Yeah, that's all right. Same thing. <laughs> I don't respect. I don't have that. Uh, with black bears so much not yeah. not at least here in Minnesota I have heard that black bears in like grizzly country are a different animal because they they have to be more aggressive because they're you know they're in competition with a, a large a larger predator uh, but man in Minnesota here it's like they just they're kind of big <laughs> wimps I mean they 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 hear or, or smell a human and they're long gone before you even knew they were there I mean they're just like they want no part of people for the most part yeah i've run into black bears and grizzlies out west and i i don't know i black bears even still they run up a tree it's usually i mean they're so not clumsy but they're just so big and don't care so they're running through the brush which (laughs) gets your up and get your bear out and you're like oh it's a it's up a tree it's good it's black bear okay (laughs) all right we're good it's black bear (laughs) yeah and then the grizzlies it does seem like they're more curious like they do that thing and stand up like hey what's over there and just the fact that they stand up like they're like oh crap (laughs) it's like that's the image you see in all the movies right it's like oh god yeah yeah i had that once um when i was working in yellowstone and we were we were searching uh clusters so we were searching werewolves had been um to see if they were you know something like a bed site or or a kill site or a scavenged site where they had fed. Uh, we came on one and it was a bed site. And I was like, okay, this next one's probably a carcass. And they came over here to bed uh, and we were walking. It was late winter. So, cause the grizzlies were coming out and we went up to one and we did our last like, Hey bear. And uh, he just popped up <laughs> over the, top. I was like, Oh, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you do it. We don't need to look at it that closely. Right. You're like, oh, I'm uh, not you. I will talk to you. Yeah, um, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go now. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be, that was, I've seen so many uh, pictures and videos like when you get up in Alaska, you know, the salmon fishermen, and they're just, they're, the bears are down there eating salmon. They're fishing, and the fishermen are like, pfft way yeah. too close in my opinion <laughs> and they're just like yeah whatever both here for the salmon i'm like man that's you must have witnessed yeah. that a few times for you to actually let your guard down because i don't i'd be like so this section of stream is taken i'm gonna go to the next one <laughs> i'm out i don't <laughs> I'm need mile down. i do not need yeah. salmon this bad <laughs> yeah i would love to get up and, and do that but yeah i've seen those videos or talk to people that are like yeah it's not as big of a deal up there it's like okay. i mean i I guess I believe you, but. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do believe them. I do believe them. I just know that, like, the first time I would have experienced it, I would, I know that I'd be very uneasy about it. Like, here's this giant. I wouldn't be watching my fly or anything. Yeah, thousand pound (laughs) predator over there just, like, chilling, eating. Like, I don't know. But I guess, you know, they're they're where they want to be. They're at the food source. So, you know, they're not getting in. They're not getting into fights that often, even with each other. At that point, there's so many salmon. They're just like, yeah, there's enough for everybody, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not usually what's, the case. What's the, what's the reason something would attack a person? Is it you know, cubs or, or kittens or whatever, or they're gonna take their food or you know something? They don't typically attack out of malice. So right, there's a ton of fish. This fatty, super rich fish. Then they're not gonna. They don't care. 
<laughs> no, that that seems to be the case. Like they just don't care. You can kind of see it on their face too. They'll look over at a person and be like, "Oh, it's you. Okay, whatever. I want to go back over here and try to catch a fish. Like whatever." But watch out when the fish are gone because you're looking okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're hoping at that point they're they're fatty and content, yeah. <laughs> maybe getting ready for uh, to uh, hibernate for the winter or something. But yeesh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It would be weird. That's not. Yeah, I need to get. To, I need to get to Alaska too. Sooner, put that on the bucket list too. That's been on there for a long time. Absolutely. Um, dang it! I forgot what I was gonna ask. I had a. I sidetracked myself. I hate when I do that. Um, so do you do you deer hunt here in Minnesota? I have. Um, so I I grew up in a hunting family, but I didn't really grow up hunting a lot. Um, I started, you know, I took hunter's ed when I was 10 or 11 or whatever age you do that and had a deer tag when I was 12 and we, you know, sighted in the rifle and saw a doe the first day or the second day or whatever, like beautiful shot, pulled up the gun. My dad's like, Oh, you got it. You got it. And I just like burst into tears. (laughs) It's too heavy. It's like, it is not, you shot it like two days ago. Um, so he quickly realized that that was only the excuse I was coming up with. So I didn't hunt <laughs> like forever. Um, I, I bird hunted. I was awful at that. And then later found out I'm, I'm right-handed, but I'm left eye dominant. So I think <sighs> yeah. it was, I never shot, a, I never shot a duck. I shot a grouse once um, as a kid, but um, yeah. So when we moved to Minnesota, um, I got in touch um with, with, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, um, and, and got in touch with or got involved with the, the learn to hunt program. So relearning how to deer hunt. So I did that, my husband and I did that for a couple of years. And so we both, both got a couple of deer that way. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Backcountry yeah. hunters and anglers. That's an awesome organization. Yeah. I would recommend everybody check them out. Um, they do a <laughs> lot of really good work. No, they really do. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, so the, yeah, that that right hand and left eye dominant issue—that's a problem for a lot of people. Yeah, but it can yeah. be over. Year, it can I, be overcome. I, yeah, I I was sighting in our two seventy for the elk hunt this year, and had the problem of the I don't know if it's the exhaust or whatever. One of the one of the bullets was a little corroded, and it it kind of um, let off some. And it, because the exhaust is on the right side, but I was shooting a right-handed rifle with my left hand, it flew into my face, oh, no. little, which was like, I didn't know what was going on at first. I was like, oh no, <laughs> definitely <laughs> something. And this is, cannot be good. Um, so yeah, I mean, the need, need for a, a left-handed, I think, but I'd like to get back into bird hunting. I haven't, haven't done that recently, but. I'm definitely more into the bird hunting waterfall than I am um deer hunting. I, mean, I do I like bow hunting. I have like zero interest in firearm hunting for deer. Um but yeah, I love waterfall hunting. I would do more upland hunting like pheasants and grouse, but I don't have a dog, so that's just yeah. basically taking your gun for a walk. Is yeah. what that yeah. what that ends up being. Not so much yeah. about that. We have a couple dogs uh, and at least one would be good good for birds, but um he doesn't like guns, so that's really That's a problem. Not- <laughs> that's oh. a problem i've known a couple of guys that got out and got a spent money on a hunting dog and 
turns out the thing's gun shy. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> that is a tough break. <laughs> now you now you just have a pet. <laughs> yep, yep. Now you have a pet. Great, which is fine. I mean, I have a dog, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. it is not a hunting dog. Never will be a hunting <laughs> dog. Um, so I mean, pets are cool. Pets are fun. I'm getting close. More and more, I toy with the idea of getting a dog. Um, I still kind of like going and retrieving my own birds at this point, except yeah. for certain. Growing up, growing up, we had golden retrievers, and that's why we had them. Is because my dad duck hunted, and so I have never duck hunted without a dog. So I wouldn't even like know where to go. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, it's a it's a pain in the butt to be honest. I mean, you you know, you take the time and you take your boat and you get it, you know tucked into vegetation and you're hiding and usually got to push pull it into some you know shallow swampy boggy whatever and then you shoot some birds now you gotta get out and push the boat out and go out and fetch your ducks and then repeat the process so i i do get the uh allure of using a dog to make you know once you're kind of in position you're, you're there you don't have to mess with that but um there's a whole host of other issues that come along with hunting with a dog i mean there's space you know you gotta have room for them uh and i've just hunted over too many not good well-trained dogs and that mm. that ruins it for me like i just don't like yeah. like i did not go out here did listen to you yell at your dog for yeah, four hours yeah. like yeah if you and know if we were gonna get a dog i i would need you know it'd have to be a puppy. And it, I mean, I watched my dad train them and, and our dogs were good dogs and they lived to bird hunt. That's what, yeah. I mean, I would hook up the boat in the morning and Marie would sit in the, the boat and she would not move. And my dad would have to bring her water because she didn't want to be left. Um, <laughs> but I don't have the time right now to put into that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and honestly, that's why I don't, I was like, I don't have yeah. the time to put into a dog and I'm not getting one until I know I have the time. Cause yeah, I, I right. don't want to be that guy in the marsh <laughs> yelling at his dog. Um, yeah. but I, I don't water hunt a ton. I do a lot of, uh, like field hunting for Canada geese okay. and stuff like that. So that's, that's not a problem. You know, you, you just jump out of your blind and you walk out there and you pick up your, your birds. Now there's been a few times where a dog would be nice if you sail one or lose one in some, <laughs> you know, tall CRP grass or cornfield or something. You're like, um, really wish I had a dog right about now, but <laughs> Those times are few and far between. Usually, you know, you're like so you're in a big cornfield. You can you can usually see them pretty pretty easily. So that's that's not a problem. someday someday I'll get a dog. <laughs> Just don't know when. Maybe within I'd say within ten years for sure. Maybe five. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is it would be duck hunting? Is that what you would kind of get back into if you were to to get into it? Yeah, I mean duck or, or goose either. Um we never hunted like field hunted. Um so we we didn't hunt for geese that often. Sure. Um but, yeah, I mean it was kind of whatever flew over, except in Merganser. My dad said don't ever shoot one of those. But <laughs> Well, sometimes you don't know until you have it in hand. Yeah, right. He old... said he shot one once accidentally and tried to feed it to the dog and the dog wouldn't eat it, so he's like, Don't shoot this. <laughs> you know, that doesn't even mean anything. I have the pickiest dog. Like I'll <laughs> She won't eat goose. She won't eat duck. She'll eat venison sometimes, huh. but only sometimes. Uh, she's like huh. super picky. You can put like huh. some 
good beef gravy in her dog food and she'll scarf it up. And then you're like, okay, she likes that kind of gravy. So you just start, and eventually she gets, I don't know, she gets, she gets sick of it or something because all of a sudden you mix up her bowl, put it on it, she goes and sniffs it and walks away. You're like, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> this beef gravy isn't good enough for you? Like, oh my God. Yeah, I just, I we made, had a dog um, kind of later growing up. She was a like an Australian shepherd or a border collie mix of some kind. She was a stray that we picked up and um, we had a couple sheep that we found. That's a whole nother story, but um, <laughs> you found yeah, some let sheep. her out. Yeah. She would like, so where my grandparents live, they, they run sheep out in Idaho, you know, like they, you know, open range, they run cattle. Um, and some people let their sheep out in the same kind of way. And this rancher would um, often leave one or two sheep and we'd always call him and he'd say, ah, just shoot them. It's not worth the money to come back and get them. So at Christmas, we'd, uh, my dad and his siblings and us would all kind of make a sport of it. And we got, I think two or three, um, and you'd just go chase them down and then catch them. And then we just kept them because the <laughs> back. And so we had sheep, so we'd breed them. And then we had this, you know, sheep dog we found and just let her out. And she, you know, instinctively was kind of corralling the sheep, um, but we bred the sheep and raised them for lambs. So when we would cook lambs, cook the lamb for any dinner, it, it didn't matter. I mean, if it was elk or whatever we were cooking at home, it didn't matter. The dog didn't care. But if you were cooking lamb, she would stand at the kitchen door and growl at you and kind of bark and woof at you. It was so really weird. protecting. Like, are, I don't know. Just like, those are my friends. Those are, what are you doing? <laughs> Monster. Oh, I love lamb. I have definitely toyed with the idea of raising my own sheep for that very reason uh, lamb is delicious as much like venison but i like venison more than i like beef because it has flavor which is yep. why i like lamb because it has flavor i, I find beef yeah, to be yeah. tremendously bland yeah and, and yeah. pretty boring yep. i mean i won't pass up a good <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i won't pass up a good ribeye but yeah pretty much anything other than that's like eh take it or leave it you know yep Yep, I agree. Not a big deal. It's like when I go to a bar or something, I like it. I always get like a Reuben because I like the corned beef. Corned beef has a little more going on for it than just like a burger, you know? Yep. You're yep. a beer and burger fry basket kind of a thing. It's like, eh, it's so boring. Just when I read <laughs> it on the menu, I'm like, bland, bland. <laughs> uh, I'm a slave. If I go. If I go to a, a like a nice restaurant and I see they have lamb on there, I pretty much have to get it. I only run into a problem if they also have duck on the menu. Then I'm like, oh, mm. <laughs> crap. <laughs> Which way am I leaning today? I don't know. I don't know what to do. I usually lean to duck just because not, it's not a very common restaurant yeah, item. I don't find it as much. No, yeah. it's very good. Very good, but it's definitely different than wild duck. Um, mm-hmm. It is not the same as wild duck. I like wild duck, but it's not uh, domestic duck is pretty hard to pass up. <laughs> They're pretty dang tasty. Do you find, um, I suppose in your department at the university, maybe not so much, but do you, is there, do you run into people that have a more negative opinion of hunting? Um, no, not really. Um, a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot that don't hunt. There's a lot of people in the department that do hunt, um, but a lot that don't. Um, but usually, I mean, like David, um, 
has talked talked to me before and said, you know, he didn't hunt before, and but he'd be super interested in it. Um, so I'm glad he got out um, and was able to go with you. Yeah, but I wish he would have had a little more success, but that's hunting. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's just how it goes. Um, I'll, I'll get him out again. And I think, I mean, I've, you know, talked to international students too, and a lot of them are just really curious about, about what it is. So um, when I talk about it, I talk a lot about, you know, the experience of hunting itself and how it's different than hiking. I think I love to hike, but it's so different when you're hunting. If you're stock hunting, you have to be so quiet and you see and you hear so many different things than you do when you're hiking. So it's a totally different kind of immersive experience. Um, and then if you get something, just being able to eat that and know, um, know that. And, um, I mean, we've said here, if we have an animal that we hunted, we take probably better care of it. So we like, okay, we're gonna have some deer tonight. How are we going to cook it? What yeah, are we going to do for sure. To it, care for it really nicely. So we, we think about it a lot more, um, which I enjoy. So when I talk to people, um, that's kind of what I talk about. I think there's a little more spread maybe in the undergrad population, um, teaching or, you know, being in TA and some of those classes. Um, but even them they're I mean, they're curious, um, and trying to, to, there's different kinds of hunters, you know, I think a lot of people that are opposed to hunting are opposed to trophy hunting. Um, and so there's some social science research that's shown that there's actually a really wide acceptance in the U S for hunting itself, especially if it's just hunting for meat. But if you put the word trophy in front of it, people are, are not as, not as accepting of that. Um, and even, I mean, trophy hunting, there are different kinds of trophy hunters, right? There's somebody that goes to Africa, um, to trophy hunt one of the, you know, big five or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, or there's somebody that's hunting a big white tailed buck. And those are two pretty different types of, trophy hunting. Um, but I think that term is, is off putting to people that don't hunt. I agree. I think the, I think the term trophy hunting is definitely, you know, pejorative and, um, I don't know what can be done with that because I don't really think it's fair. I, I don't think it, it's, it's fair that it gets demonized as much as it does because even like you said, even with the African trophy hunting, um, there's nothing going to waste. I mean, this meat is still being consumed, um, even more so in Africa. It's it's more so than the you know he, he the, the guy hunting it isn't taking it or the girl I should say is not um, they don't get to take that meat home. I mean, it has to stay there. It goes with the local. It gets doled out to local villages and stuff like that. So it's not like it's going to usually very poor um, villages and and communities that that need it and rely on it. Um, and that's not to mention the, the money that goes into it, you know, just from them buying these really expensive tags. But even back here in Minnesota, in Minnesota or the country, when you say trophy hunting and it has that negative connotation, it's like, well, they're still going to eat it. It's like, they're just not killing anything. They're just waiting for this big animal. And fact of the matter is if, if somebody deems themselves a trophy hunter in this country, chances are they kill less animals per year than somebody who's not. So if, if, the, if it's the killing of the animals that you're worried about, you should be a little more fond of the trophy guy. Cause he might not even pull the trigger that year. If the right buck doesn't walk out, like he's, you know, he has standards and he's like, I'm only shooting this if it's this. And 
a lot of times people are eating their tags, you know. So, but if you're a quote unquote meat hunter, you know, it's brown, it's down. You're probably going to use your main tag and you're going to use your three bonus tags and you're going to, you know, you're going to take every deer you, you legally can. So it's, it's got a bad PR, uh, the trophy hunting thing does. And it's a hard, it's a hard conversation to really get across, um, to people that in those areas like Africa, it's like trophy hunting actually is like immensely important. If these animals don't have value, then you're, that's how you're going to lose them to poaching to, and you know, even when you say poaching, there's different kinds of poaching, right? There's the people that poach that, you know, let's just use, um, rhinos for instance, that just cut the horn off, right? They're just to sell to China or whatever. That's one, that's one kind of poaching. The other kind of poaching are just those really poor village communities that are literally just going out. They're trespassing on this rancher's property and this high fence operation or whatever. And they're shooting a kudu because they want to feed their family. You know, that that's right. also yeah. poaching, you know? So when someone's yeah. like, shoot all poachers on site, it's like, that's kind of a broad statement. Yeah. You know, it's like, I understand what you mean about the guy. And I think what they mostly mean is the person that's killing an animal, taking its horns or whatever, and leaving the rest to rot. And I would probably agree with you. Let's <laughs> shoot him on sight. But not all poachers are that. And that's what that's what ends up happening when you don't allow that trophy hunting is that's the only thing that happens then is illegal hunting. So Yeah, I think a lot of it is intent. So um, yeah, when talking to people about hunting, that's kind of how I how I frame it of what's my intent. And for me it's mostly meat. And for most people I know, even if they are trophy hunting here, it's they want they I mean they want to, you know, maybe a big buck or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're going to eat it and they, they want that. And that's what they enjoy most. So kind of frame narrative that way. I think, I think people, once you talk to them about it, it, uh, gets a little yeah, a little and easier. I, I think I agree. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I mean, I love eating wild game. I, mean, I love it. Like I said, I like it more than beef. So that's like, I'd eat it all the time. If that, if that was my only protein, I'd be happy with it. Like that's awesome. Um, there is a, I do think there's a slippery slope even with the, you know, eat what you kill. Like you get people like, well, what do you do with it? Once you eat it, you're like, yeah, yeah, I eat it. Like, oh, okay, well, that's okay. Well, when you start getting into populations, like let's say snow geese, right? Their populations are way out of control to the point where they created a spring conservation season where it's liberal, you know, no limit unplugged shotguns, electronic calls, half hour after sunset. Like they took away as many rules as they could so that we could kill as many as they could because they're overgrazing the tundra. Right. So when you come into it, when you come into a situation like that, that's that do you eat it slippery slope is like, well, what if I didn't, should we then not control these numbers? If I don't eat them, like at some, at, in those situations, I feel like reducing their numbers is the most important thing. What happens to them afterwards? I mean, you hope they get utilized, but if they don't, really, so what? Because the the greater good is that we reduce that population, because we're protecting a very fragile ecosystem that's that's in danger right now because there's too many of them, and then that's so you kind of get you can get kind of that do you eat it thing. I've I've been in a couple conversations where 
that can kind of get stuck because people will find that middle ground if they're not hunters or they might be anti-hunters. They're like, okay, well, if you eat it, I guess that's okay. Well, one thing I don't like is like, why am I having to justify myself to you? For one, I'm not breaking any laws. I don't feel like I need to justify this activity, an activity in which the person usually arguing you is as ignorant of as possible. Like they usually don't know anything about the quarry. They don't know anything about hunting in general, but yet they want to impose their opinions and they want to influence laws. It's like, that doesn't even, I mean, to me, it's like your opinion, and this might sound cold and callous, but it's like your opinion at that point, if I realize you, you don't know anything about this animal or hunting or your opinion means not a lot to me. Cause that's like me, yeah. that would be like me take, um, any other political issue, you know? I mean, I guess the hot button, what, but let's just take some, a woman's issues, abortion, for example, like I'm not going to get into it, but I've heard a lot of women say like, well, men shouldn't even really have an opinion on that. They don't, they can't produce babies. They can't get pregnant. So why should their opinion matter? And to an, to a degree, I, I agree to a point. Same thing goes back to this conversation. Like if you're not a hunter, you don't know anything about the animal other than what it looks like. And you think they're cute. Your opinion doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. You know, to even call yourself. I've used this analogy multiple times. I use the football analogy. People that claim they are animal lovers, but are anti hunters. It That's like saying, that you're the biggest football fan ever. Like, I am the biggest football fan ever, yet I don't know how the game is played. I don't know how it's scored. I don't know any of the rules, but I think Aaron Rodgers is really cute. So, therefore, <laughs> so therefore, I'm a huge football fan. No, you're not. And you shouldn't have any – and you should have no input on how the game is played <laughs> because you don't know what you're talking about. Whereas you get into a hunter, you know, if you're a deer hunter, you know everything about that animal. You know where it breeds, you know where it yeah. sleeps, you know, you know what it eats, you know what its poop looks like, you know what it smells like. Like you literally know every single thing about that animal. To me, that's an animal lover. Like to know to know and to want to know everything about it makes you an animal lover. If you just think they're cute, mm -hmm. well, I just like the way they look. Well, that doesn't make you an animal lover. That just makes you a lover of things that are aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard talking. Yeah, there's there's some people that are ignorant, and then people that are willfully ignorant, and it's kind of those people you gotta gotta oh. see. Some people with they do want to learn, and so talking to them might actually sway their opinion. And some people that just don't want to. Um, I follow a guy on Instagram that's a, he's a professional hunter in Iceland and he hunts Arctic fox. Um, and it, it's to help control Arctic fox because they're, um, and I can't right now off the top of my head think of the bird, but they're, they're decreasing this bird population in um, Iceland? by eating the eggs. Is it Iceland or Greenland? And so he's tasked with shooting these Arctic fox and he puts up posts. Sorry? Nothing. I was asking what I forgot. You said Greenland or Iceland. I'm trying to figure out what bird this would be. 
Iceland. Iceland. Yeah, Iceland. It's a, it's a seabird, I believe. Um, but uh, well, wouldn't I don't think it would be puffins. Because they it wasn't. Be, it's not puffins. No, because they um, nest on cliffs. Um, yeah. I'd have to. I'd have to look. I can't remember. Yeah. But he got some flack on one of his posts recently, and I really liked his response because somebody said, "I can't. This is horrible. Like, I can't believe you do this. This is blah blah. You're, you know, this is, I don't know, go to hell or I don't know." Yeah, right. Yeah. Usually they threaten their life. (laughs) Yeah, and he responded, you know, like this is a legitimate form of management for this species, and this is why I do this. Um, I I'm available on email or Zoom or however you would like to contact me to talk about this. I'd really love to discuss with you um, why I do this and why it's important. And I have no idea if this person reached out. I would guess they didn't. I think there's somebody that's willfully ignorant. Um, and those people are just really hard to, hard to talk to. Um, yeah, I was the issue gonna... with people that are animal lovers and that aren't is that, you know, even if, Hunters are, you know, might know wildlife way better and likely do better than most people. But um, since wildlife is held in the public trust, it's not just held by hunters. So it's kind of up to hunters, I think, to to show a, a brighter side of hunting, I guess. For sure. <laughs> and I was going to say it's like the, the latter one, the willfully ignorant. They're the ones that like yeah. you just they just dig their heels in. I mean, you can throw yeah, every it's just not even worth that. You can throw every bit of science at them you can, and they're like, well, I don't care. I just don't like it. It's like, well, yeah. at this, yeah. Okay, yep. That's fine. Okay. That's your opinion. You're welcome to it. But. Change the subject. <laughs> um, but We're not I, changing each other's minds. We're not getting anywhere. So. What do you mean? That's why you have those arguments on Facebook. That's the only place you can change people's minds is on Facebook. That <laughs> I'm being totally facetious. I'm still trying to find this. <laughs> I'm trying to find what bird that is now because I'm – interested it just keeps saying the feast on seabirds no what kind i want to know uh crap i'm not gonna be able to find it scan 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 dang it and i know if it like jumped i know i would know it if it if you said it <sighs> be like oh yeah that's right yeah. god dang it uh What's the one? It's like the northern version of a penguin. Is what I'm thinking of. And I... yeah, ah, hell, that's gonna bother the crap out of me. Oh well. All right, let it go. Let it go. Uh, <laughs> I know that movie. I can't. I can't say let it go without singing it. It's that movie has ruined me. I don't <laughs> even have young kids. <laughs> Uh, so you, do you need, still need people to uh, send in stuff? So like people that are going to be hitting the woods this year, some bow hunters that are already in the woods, and then we are dangerously close to uh, the November firearm season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know youth season already started or started last yeah, weekend. Yeah, that was last weekend, yep. Yep. Um, so we've had a couple people send stuff in, people that are archery hunting or, or a youth hunter set up a camera. Um but yeah, if people are interested um, in participating, they can email me. Um, I can get you my my email. Well, go ahead and throw the email out right now. People yeah. listening. Can. So it's b e l l e one three zero at u m n dot edu. 
and uh, I can get um, get you information about more about maybe what's it, what it's about or a summary of what I've talked about here. Um, and then a, a place where you can sign up, which is pretty much just an easier place for me to collect how many people and who's signing up. Uh, and I'll give you just some more directions on how to set up. Is there a, is there a, like a centralized website or anything like that, that, um, to go um, sign up? If people are interested, there, there's, um, yeah, it's a, it's called sign up genius. Um, and the website, uh, name is too long okay. numbers and like, well, it's for me to you can make just... any sense about Email me that uh, email me a link to that site, okay. and then I'll post it in the show notes, and then okay. people can find Sounds it good. that I'll way. Do that. Yeah, and then and uh, it's pretty easy to participate uh, if you have your own camera. If you don't, we do have a few that we may be able to lend out. Um, so if you're interested and don't have a camera, still reach out and we'll see what we can do. Um, but I mean, we're not asking you to field dress your deer any differently than you normally would. Just put up a camera right when you're done and record the species that come in. We're asking people to leave the camera out for a month, which is definitely longer than most cows are going to last, but um, it'll, it'll collect those species that might come to visit. Sure. And if you hunt late, um, sometimes your gut pile will last longer than that. So. Oh, sure. They got to chew on a frozen piece of kidney, yeah. <laughs> a little kidney icicle to get to it. That makes, yeah. that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. Do you have any questions for me? I think I, I think I've exhausted everything I had for you. <laughs> I don't think so. I think, I think this was a good talk. Really appreciate this. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on for sure. Uh, definitely spread the word. Anybody else in your your department that has projects? Like uh, I was telling David, I'm like I have been trying to get break through this like the U of M research wall. Like I've sent emails to the like. The, um, wildlife management <laughs> department and I get no response. So I was like, ah. I was okay. like, I'm just going to hang out down there on campus. Be like, Hey, <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? Fortunately, none of us are there right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Just my luck. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anybody that's, that's, um, and it doesn't have to be hunting related or fishing related. Anything that has to do with conservation or the outdoors, is uh, interesting to me and can be a potential guest or a subject. So literally any anything and, and anybody that's interested, uh, more than willing to, to have them on and talk about it and hopefully drum up some support for their projects. You know, ultimately that would be, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You bet, have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye.